Welcome to the Cashflow Ninja, the podcast sharing how to create and grow income streams and manage, multiply, and protect your wealth in the new economy. Are you tired of trading your time for money? Do you desire freedom today instead of retirement in 10, 20, or 30 years? I'm MC Lobsher, and this is the Cashflow Ninja. This is Cashflow Ninja. I'm MC Lobsher. Thank you so much for spending your most valuable resource, your time, once again with me in another show of the Cashflow Ninja. Again, all of our past shows, so over 700 now, between Cashflow Ninja and Cashflow Investing Secrets, is available along with all of our community information and much, much more at CashflowNinja.com. That's CashflowNinja.com. Everything that you need uh, to know about us and our community is right there. Joining me today again is my friend Dave Steck from his uh, lovely residence in Puerto Rico. And we had a, a great conversation for the, for those of you who don't, are not familiar with Dave by now. Uh, he's delivered so much value uh, to our community during the State of the Union with regards to real estate and private lending. Dave, of course, is one of the most successful private lenders in the United States. And he's spoken at Harvard and many other top, top uh, institutions, telling them what they don't want to hear. And then it happens. <laughs> and then they want him back for some reason too, right? So Dave is joining us again. And um, I'm very excited to jump into a part which uh, I find extremely, extremely valuable. And I think uh, all of our listeners and viewers are absolutely going to love this. It's about the game of money, the game of money and wealth that we talk about and the game of money mindset. And uh, for those of you that are listening, if you can watch this too, because uh, what we did is kind of similar to that, what we've done in the past. Uh, we bounce ideas back and forth to figure out how can we use the time at hand to make it as productive as possible. So uh, we bounced around some questions with regards to the game of wealth and money and the, the game of money mindset. Um, so we'll go through that and we'll share that. But before we jump into it, Dave, great to see you and welcome again on the show. And to you, MC, always appreciate being here. And uh, today is going to be a good day for everybody listening and you and I. Absolutely. So let's dive into it. Uh, the money game mindset. And this is a, a pretty, pretty powerful part of it. What motivated you to create a lot of this content for your private group, Dave? Again, we're very uh, honored that you're sharing this with us because this is information that you create and share with your, with your insider group uh, that, that you have. Yeah, I, it's a great place to start. And I, I know you asked me that, so I think it's on one of these slides uh, to be able to cover as well. But uh, before I get into it, I'll simply say the folks in our insiders group, uh, over 100 of them now, are already multi and decamillionaires. And I put this together as you'll hear, really not for them and not for you and not for MC and even not for me, but for my grandkids, because I wanted to make sure that they were positioned better in the future than they are today relative to their mindset about money. Because remember, that's two generations away from me right now. Now, why do I tell you that? because I wasn't sure how it would be received by already successful people. And it was overwhelmingly well-received. And so I was talking with MC and I said, look, I think this is be something that'd be really valuable. He agreed, there's nothing for sale. It's really to help you try to get to where you're trying to go quicker. And I promise you that you're gonna learn some stuff, not just today, 
but MC and I have decided to do a two-part webinar. In other words, you're only going to get a peek under the tent at the money game mindset, uh, but we're also going to do a two-part webinar, the first of which is next Thursday. So with that, let me kind of get into it here and welcome you from uh, lockdown in Puerto Rico. As all of you know, or most of you do at this point, um, I kind of started this journey with MC when we first began talking three months into lockdown, and here we are 14 months in. How crazy is that? And I just took my first trip, as I told you, MC, to Florida last week, and you just took your first trip to Phoenix. So we have all been in lockdown or some form of quarantine. And here's what I know to be true. Screw that thriving, or I should say that surviving business. Now it's time to thrive. And so the first question that MC had asked me uh, to really share with you, and he's already said this, is what led me to want to document this thing anyway? Why am I even sharing it with anyone? And as I mentioned, great answers really start with great questions. Here's what I find myself doing all the time. You know, I always wanted to be a millionaire. Then I became one. Then I wanted to be a multimillionaire. Then I became one. Then I wanted to be a decamillionaire. Then I became one, 10 million. The, the list goes on. But I still think sometimes like a thousandaire. What, you know, think about that. All of you think at a level below where you should be thinking and with whom you should be thinking than you already do. And so whatever your current level of wealth, maybe you're a thousandaire, maybe you're a millionaire or a multimillionaire deck, you can't afford to think at a level below. You are always best served by thinking at least one level above. So how do you get there? I'll tell you, in my case, it's been either one idea or one person. Either of those will allow you to add a zero. Both of them together will allow them to put you on a new trajectory. So if you learn something from MC, you've got one person and one idea that can literally change the outcome of not just your future, but your family's trajectory. And that's what's happened to me in our case with real estate, private lending, and investing in technology. So my sons and I created this money game mindset. Why? Because we wanted to pass it along to our children, me to them, them to their grandsons or their kids, which are my grandsons. And what I've realized is you've got to not only embrace this, but you got to embed it in your family's financial DNA. So just imagine for a minute, if you're listening, imagine, if you're watching on YouTube, imagine that what we're going to talk about today is something you had when you started out because there isn't anything that we've learned in the womb on making money. And we didn't have the right mindset when we were in high school or college. And many of us still don't have it. Well, it took me 85% of my life to figure this out, but boy, have I nailed the last 15% because I've got a mindset that I believe now I can pass along to my grandkids. So if I'm hit by a bus tomorrow, I'm gonna to be fine. And I hope you're gonna do the same thing. Create a module like this yourself. So this is all about how we got here, how we added a zero, how we'll keep adding zeros, how we're going to keep it and grow it. So we'll get into it. So MC, I don't know if you want to ask the questions or just have me read the questions you ask me. <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, so the first question here is what are some of the key principles that you've learned to always win in the money game? Yeah, I think there are a couple of words in there that are really important in what you've asked. 
the word is principles, right? Fundamentals that you always need to know. And the second is always. It's crazy to think that we've always made progress in the money game and we've not had setbacks. Now, I'm not saying we doubled, you know, every day. I'm just saying that because we're diversified, because we're thoughtful, because we've figured out the strategies at any point during the market cycle for real estate, for private lending and investing in technology companies, we've figured this out. So hopefully this will help you. There are six must knows. And I've kind of split them into two groups of three, because when we go into the two-part webinar, I'm going to cover these three in part one. The first is your money lens. How do you view money? The second is the difference between effort and outcome. As I tell my kids, and I've always told them, you can have results or excuses, but you can't have both. Well, that has a lot to do with effort and outcome. And then good debt and bad debt. Now, you may think you know everything you need to know about these three, but I promise you, you don't. Because I was sort of uncovering the things that I knew deeply uh, when I was putting this together. And as I said, a lot of multi and decamillionaires have already watched this and gave it a 9.9 out of 10. So I know it's going to be good for you. Then in the second webinar that we're going to do, now we're probably a couple of weeks away from that, we'll talk about the magic of compounding and being a contrarian and wealth accumulation versus wealth preservation. So those are what I view to be the six must-knows that I want my grandkids to have uh, that hopefully are going to benefit you. Now, we all know it starts with your true why. Now, what is your true why? Well, I believe it's really happiness and meaning. I want to be happier tomorrow than I was today. And while that's not always achievable, that's my desired outcome. But then there's a level above happiness, which is where you have greater meaning. And that's why I do these with MC, because my desired outcome is to have greater meaning by helping you get to where you're going quicker and for you to pass it, upon, pass it along to yours. So what is happiness and what is meaning all about? In my opinion, I get up every day to do three things make money, do good, have fun. That's it. If it doesn't fit in one of those three buckets, I don't do it. And oh, by the way, private lending, where does it fit in there? Well, you make a lot of money. So where, how about dry cleaning? Dry cleaning doesn't fit in there. Somebody else does that. I don't do that. So which of those three is most important? Well, every time I'm asked that question, most people answer do good. And I understand and the next biggest group of people say, have fun. And of course, then there's my group who realize that making money is your true why. Because without more money, you can't do more good. You can't have more fun. And you, oh, by the way, can't make more money because you have more money to do more good and have more. That's what I believe. I'm a contrarian. You'll hear me uh, say that. And I'm introduced that way when I speak at Harvard and other places. I believe it's incumbent upon you to make more money to really allow you and your family the capacity to do more good and have more fun. So that answers that. Next, back to you, my man. If winning the money game is so important, then how come some people are so bad at it while others just seem to get it? Yeah, a great question. And I'm grateful that I'm able to put slides together so that I'm really intentional on answering your questions. But I think it's all about your money lens. You see, if you think about every individual, in some level or at some level, we have a warped money lens. I really mean that. 
no matter how successful you are, there's some portion of your money lens that's not right. It's kind of like a fingerprint in a lot of ways. No two are exactly alike. You don't choose it. And at least early on, you can't even form it or control it. Much of what initially shapes your money lens is fully outside of your control. It's when you were born and the time you live in. It's where you were born and who you grew up with in terms of family and siblings, who your parents and their attitudes toward money were. My parents both had eighth grade educations and their whole attitude toward money is so different than how mine has evolved to, but their basic fundamentals are things that I inherited, so they affected my attitude. How about what's happening in the world? What's happened in economics? Look at the last year where we've added $5 trillion to our balance sheet in a bad way. Well, all of these things warp our money lens. And what I've concluded is that there are certain things I know to be true. Compared to the range of all possible experiences, all of us, UMC, me, everybody listening, we have the most narrow sort of view of money because it's based on our experience. So ask yourself these questions. And while you're listening, I want you to kind of close your eyes. Has your experience with money been anything like this? A 19-year-old kid with a billion-dollar trust fund. How about a 108-year-old seamstress who raised 11 kids during the Dust Bowl during the Great Depression? How about a 26-year-old Vietnamese entrepreneur who recently immigrated the, to the US who never saw a recession in his home country at any point in his lifetime? What about a 90-year Hungarian who from 1945 to 46 experienced the worst hyperinflation that the world's ever seen? 200% daily. Imagine prices going up double every day, every 15 hours. So you and I have such a limited and narrow experience with respect to money. So we wonder why we have a warped opinion or at least a lens. So I think the bottom line is that it creates problems. Why? Because we do stupid things. When people don't understand how the money game works, they do stupid things with the money they do have. How about sinking the last of their savings into a get rich quick scheme? We know people who've done that, you do too. How about keeping your money in a bank or under a mattress because it's safer? How about making purchases that are what we call conspicuous consumption? You just felt compelled to buy a Ferrari so everyone else thought you had money, not realizing that the people who generally own Ferraris don't have money. <laughs> they just wanna appear that they have it. They wanna appear rich. So my whole perspective is you've got short-term sacrifices that are necessary to become wealthy long-term and they end up becoming renters for life because they haven't learned how to own. So a lot of people say, so how do you avoid them? Well, the first thing is awareness. If you understand the money game and the mindset, you can have self-awareness that allows you to basically do, you know, look at the counterproductive biases in your life and influence your actions. Once you identify them, you can reshape them. And as I said, that lens evolves based on personal experience. I'll talk about it in a minute. So it can be changed and you can start doing it now. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. And it just stresses the importance of our paradigm and worldview. You know, that deep-seated beliefs inside of us 
um, because everything that you experience, you will experience through the models and frameworks that you, that you have, which is determined by that paradigm and worldview and those beliefs. And the one thing that I've learned, if you don't change those core beliefs, that paradigm and worldview, that will help you adjust the models and frameworks, nothing's going to happen. You're going to still be doing the, the same boneheaded things that, <laughs> that you've always done, uh, as you mentioned. So we avoid bad money decisions by identifying our own biases and adjusting our thinking to how the money game really works. What's the first area my, my listeners might need to work on? Where, where do you start, right? What uh, a lot of people would be thinking. Yeah, uh, I really do believe it's about effort versus outcomes. And as I mentioned at the outset, I've always told my sons, and you may have even heard me say this, MC, you can have results or excuses, but you can't have both. So whenever things aren't going the way that you expect them to go, get over it and, and affect a different outcome. So for me, it's very self-evident, but for those that are listening, 100% of your efforts do not determine 100% of your outcomes. So once you realize that and you really internalize it, when we, we start thinking a, a little deeper. And so what I did is I created what I call the double Pareto principle. You see, 80% of people in the world don't do anything. I don't know why they're happy with mediocrity. Um, maybe they don't have the means, maybe they don't have the desire, but that's 80% of people. And then within the other 20%, there's the 80% of the 20% or 16% that do something. And then there's the 20% of the 20%, which is 4% that do something big. Well, that Pareto principle is really called the law of the vital few. I just call it the double Pareto principle, where a minority of your efforts produce the majority of your results. Efforts and outcomes just don't map one-to-one. -one. So when we know that certain efforts lead to better outcomes, we then realize that even the best efforts don't even lead to the best outcomes that they should. So the key is knowing in advance the efforts that have the best chance of producing an outsized outcome and then trying to figure out how to create greater outsized outcomes. Now that all sounds simple and it's not, or at least it's simple, but it's not easy. So I started in a household of tremendous effort. So for those of you viewing this, uh, you're now looking at a photo of me growing up in a trailer park for the first 20% of my life with a flat top and thick glasses, right? <laughs> and I always joke, that I got to where I've gotten to today because I was so handsome. So MC's looking at this and he's laughing now because he's looking at me at five years old with freckles and a buzz cut and a bow tie, literally trying to figure out how to get out of a trailer park. And I always wanted to be two things. I wanted to be a millionaire. I had no idea what that was. I knew, I just knew it beat the hell out of eating mayonnaise sandwiches every day. And I wanted to be a great dad, not a biological father, because I so respected my dad and my mom. And so wanting to be a great dad, wanting to be a millionaire, but having zero plan. And as much as I love my parents and my dad taught me his work ethic and his integrity, and my mom taught me her love for others and the desire for more, I didn't have a plan. But eventually it revealed itself, not because I really constructed it, but because I fell into it. And how did it work? I had to save my way to my first million. I literally have only eaten maybe 10 cheeseburgers in my life 
because my money lens dating back 30 or 40 years ago or even longer realized that the piece of cheese on a cheeseburger costs an extra 10 cents when I was growing up. And I literally couldn't get past that. I said, who the hell's going to buy a cheeseburger and pay that extra 10 cents? So I always ate hamburgers. Well, I still do for the most part. It's the craziest thing. So I used to save my way by not having cheeseburgers to my first million. And then I finally broke through and I made my way to my second million. And then I've invested my way to the millions after that, largely through leverage and appreciation, knowing the right markets at the right time and then leveraging them through financing. So now I ask myself, what are the odds of anything like this happening? You see, my mom was one of 10 kids. My dad was one of four. Those 14 siblings had 60, 60 children. I was the only one of them to go to college. How is that possible? Well, I don't really know other than I had this hungry, burning desire to be filthy, stinking rich, and I didn't even know what it meant. I just knew I wanted out. So it's worth asking yourself the same question. What are the odds of everything in your life coming together the way it did? And how many things uh, go exactly right so that you're in the position today? MC and I were gabbing before we got on this call about timing. Timing, in my opinion, is the most important word in investing. And I've come to realize it's the most important word in life. I spoke in January of last year, MC, at that you know, conference um, where you happen to be in the audience. And if you hadn't been there and we hadn't had dinner together, we wouldn't be here. Timing is just so critical. And so that's ultimately what I believe to be the case. Absolutely. Uh, I think a lot of my uh, listeners view debt as something to toxic and something that you should avoid at, at all costs, again, because of all the, the data, the information that they consume. What's your take? Yeah, it's a great question again. And uh, we're going to get into this more during the two-part webinar, but I'm just going to give you my high-level thoughts on good debt versus bad debt. Jeez, 90% of my life, I thought debt was bad. And 85% of my life, I was still trying to figure this whole thing out. And so it's only been the last 10 or 15% of my life where I've been able to really take these principles and apply them. And I hope you're young enough or even old enough to start applying them now. But personally, I had a bad debt bias and it colored my money lens early on. You see, my dad was old school German. He never, he literally never bought anything if he couldn't buy it in cash. So if he needed tools for the job or he wanted to buy a stub nose pickup or if we needed to buy a trailer because we never owned a home, it didn't matter. If he didn't have the cash, we didn't buy it. I mean, imagine growing up that way where you only buy anything because of cash. Well, my dad also never had a credit card. He never had a checking account. He had this healthy respect for the downside of debt. He never wanted to own anything. So he steered clear of it altogether. And so did I for most of my life. So I always ask folks, what does your money lens tell you about debt? Well, I always joke you can answer in the chat box, and I don't know if you've got one or not, but we're on Zoom, so you could have. But here's what I know to be true. His view of debt rubbed off on me, both for better and for worse. For better in the sense that I've never lived beyond my means and I'm still frugal today. I'm literally a minimalist. It sounds crazy, but I'm at the point where I don't need a bunch of toys anymore. I just wanna have a bunch of experiences. 
And so I never bought depreciating assets on credit. I never asked for personal loans from anybody. And it's worse because I had to budget and save my way to my first million. I could have gotten there a lot quicker knowing what you're going to learn from us uh, as we go through this and over the two webinars. But my money lens wasn't attuned to the idea of putting my cash to work. Instead, I focused on making as much as I could at that time in corporate America. I worked over 20 years with Kodak and Disney working for someone else. I was in senior management, so I made six figures a year, but I couldn't get rich. I couldn't get out of this cycle of just spending what I made. So for most of my life, leveraging OPM, other people's money, wasn't even a consideration. And I wasn't as strict about it as my dad, obviously. I eventually bought my first car by borrowing money from a friend, and it was a 1974 Marina Blue Corvette. Well, I show that picture because my first home was a bank loan, and my first car loan was a personal loan from a friend. But all the time when I used debt, I felt like it was a necessary evil. I never realized that there's bad debt and good debt. So what did I do? I literally took out a mortgage. I doubled up on my payments. I know there are those of you who are listening who do the same damn thing. So you wanna take a 30 year loan and pay it off in 15. So you're out from underneath that all, all that debt. And I would literally then try to double up and pay it off in seven years and I did it. But I was sacrificing a lot. I viewed all debt as bad debt. In the early 2000s, literally 20 years ago, my money lens did what it's supposed to do. And yours should too, it has to evolve. So I had this awakening and it really catapulted me through the few incremental moves to some big moves. So I went from what I inherited to my father to something that my, my sons have now inherited from me. In the space of a few years, I went from an occasional consumer loan to putting my money to work. I raised my first fund at age 57 and I started lending money out and keeping the spread, which we'll talk about in the webinars called arbitrage. So once that OPM truly dawned on me, I didn't have a choice. I really had to do it because I had a taste of what would work at the right times in the market cycle. And I realized like my sons have at the very beginning that here we are 30 years later and you're now hearing this and you've probably either gone through this epiphany yourself, but isn't this what our kids need to know? Because once you buy into this notion of good debt, then you can talk about leverage. Then you can talk about arbitrage. And that allows you to take good debt and put it on steroids. So hopefully that was helpful enough for you. And the reason we're doing this is really to make sure that I've scripted this thing intentionally based on questions that MC was insightful enough to ask that allow for you to get more out of this. So I hope you are. Back to you, my man. Absolutely. I love those words, leverage and arbitrage. From an investor standpoint, uh, two of my favorite things. Uh, you mentioned a little bit about compounding, and this is where we we leverage le another plan, that word, natural law, in essence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I'm going to give a quick example. And, and frankly, MC, you've seen this before, and maybe some of your listeners have, but repetition is the mother of skill. And while I go into a lot of this on the two-part webinar, uh, where there's nothing for sale as well as here, I do it in the context of trying to help you understand compounding beyond just the example I've got time to share with you today. 
But the magic in compounding is best expressed and explained by talking about the penny. Because you can really get to the point through compounding, which is the most positive financial universe that you need to be a part of, by understanding which would you rather have? Would you rather have a million in cash right now? I'm going to give you a million dollars in cash, cold hard cash today. Or if you wait 30 days, I'll give you the value of a penny that doubles in value every 30 days. Well, for those of you who've heard this before, you already know the answer. That if you were to put this in the chat box, you'd know that a penny doubles in value every day for 30 days and becomes $5.4 million. How crazy is that? Well, I can show you the proof. After day 10, the penny becomes $5. After day 20, it becomes $5,000. And at the end of day 30, it becomes $5 million. That is crazy, but that's the power of compounding. But if I ask you, would you rather have the million in cash today or the same penny that, value, that doubles in value, but it's taxed every day like you are at 28%, now which would you like? Well, here's what it is. The penny doesn't grow to $5, it grows to $1.31. On day 20, instead of being $5,000, it's $298. And by day 30, it's $67,000 instead of 5.4 million. That is crazy. That was one of my biggest ahas in my financial life is realizing that if you lose your money or if you allow yourself to be taxed too heavily on that money, you just, you're swimming upstream. So at the end of the day, a $67,000 number compared to 5.4 million means that Uncle Sam has a compound impact of 98.7% on your wealth. How in the hell are you ever gonna get wealthy when someone else has got their hand in your pocket all the time? Well, they are your silent partner. You just didn't know you had them. And if you write down the two words, the IRS and combine them, you'll realize that it says theirs. Well, it is theirs because you've now heard from me the two most powerful forces in the financial universe compound interest that's productive and compound taxations that's destructive. So what's the single most important lesson to be learned? Pretty simple. It's not how much you make. Sure, that's critically important. And it's also important to accumulate it. But if you don't keep it, if you lose it or you're taxed on it too heavily, it's awful difficult to get to where you're trying to go, which is financial freedom, which is the first step in the big freedom, which is time freedom which is what I have. The bad news is I've got more wealth than time. The good news is I can do anything I want, just like I chose to do with MC today, because I can do anything. So there you go. Yeah, and Dave, you've always struck me as, as a, a contrarian thinker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And the folks at Harvard found that out too, by the way, yeah. right? Uh, is that an intentional part of the money game mindset? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a big part. If, if you want to become successful, I'm telling you, be a contrarian. Now, don't do stupid things just because other people are doing something different. But think about it. If you look at the people who reach the age of 65, and this is based on Social Security Administration statistics, people who reach the age of 65, 38 out of 100 don't get to 65. They die. 
and 53% of them, 53 out of 100, die dead broke. So that's 91% of the population that either dies before 65 or becomes dead broke at 65. Think about that. 91% of people. So here's an idea. Don't do what they did. Don't die and don't become dead broke. Ultimately, figure out how to get to where you're going. So that other 9% is split again in three buckets. People who make some, some people who make a lot, and some people who are financially free. Well, I want you to consider for a minute this whole notion of a bell curve. You know how there's this bell curve and there's the bottom 1% and the top 1% and there's the bottom 20 and the top 20 and so on. Well, most people always talk about best practices. What is MC doing that I can cheat off? And now I can take his best practice and make it mine. And you should do it. But think about where most people are. They're in the middle 60% trying to cheat off other people, and that's fine. But this is where most people think they've got it all figured out by borrowing other people's best practices. It's true. That is one way to accelerate your future. I believe for us, we make the real money by being contrarian thinkers because we do the opposite of what the other 99% of people do. Now, you don't have to believe that. You don't even have to agree with it. But here's what I know. What rarely comes to light is the notion that best practices and the money makers that follow them don't always study the rules. They don't always follow them. They master the rules so they can break them. So when I speak at Harvard in 2005 and tell everybody the market's going to implode, you can imagine what 2,000 people reacted like. But you know what? I had confidence. I believed in what I was saying. And whether I was right or wrong, I was convicted and I was willing to go out there and be a contrarian. The whole notion of contrarianism is the ability to think for yourself on any topic, derive a set of views wholly independent from what other people around you think. Do you do that? You need to ask yourself that question. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to have the courage? Because it's easier said than done. There's safety in numbers. If they're going to be wrong, most people would rather do it alongside a bunch of other wrong people and make the same mistake and say, okay, I guess we were all wrong. Well, that was my breakthrough in 2005. I'm speaking at Harvard and I said, the market is going to implode, get out. No one believed me and I didn't get invited back for three years. In 2008, I did get invited back. I said, go all in Las Vegas which was 68% of homes were underwater and everybody threw me out of the room there. That's where I made a fortune by getting in at the right time and getting in in the right place. And in 2011, I predicted the bottom of the market. Well, all those things have come as a result of me being contrarian because I don't care whether you think I'm right or not wrong. I'm trying to make the best informed decisions for me. And I don't care socially what anybody thinks. You see, those of you who would rather want somebody believe you are likely to be thought a fool, even by wrong, even by being wrong, by yourself. And my whole thing is, it's about the truth. A person alone and uncompromising, without a need for validation, someone who's unwary, unwavering in their belief in what they know to be right, is someone who won't succumb to pressure from other people trying to sway them. And that takes courage.
And that is why it's so difficult. Someone like me who loves JOMO, you know what FOMO is, right? The fear of missing out, right, MC? Well, JOMO is literally the joy of missing out because I can't chase every opportunity. So I, I get joy from missing some that I just missed because the few that I do pursue, I'm able to capitalize on in such a big way. Uh, absolutely. And uh, you know, right now, I mean, if you just think about it, the thought that I just had on my mind as a truth seeker, if you really go down a path to find out the truth, it's a very lonely road <laughs> because mm -hmm. you start to learn that the entire universe is inverse. <laughs> and that's why if you look at the most successful people out there, they are the contrarians and they are in that very, very small percentage um, and, and as you alluded to, it takes courage, right? It takes courage to go down that path. Um, Dave, another thing is we had a, we had a great uh, dinner after when we sat together. This was four, 14 months ago. And one of the things that really intrigued me was when your move to Puerto Rico. And that led into the other conversation of the diff huge difference between making money and keeping it. Um, and I've thought a lot since our conversation about that too. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that and uh, speak about the uh, the difference in mentalities. Sure. Well, everyone, if you've been following me and, and MC for any period of time, know that 30 some years ago, I drove a, I drew a triangle on a piece of paper to try to sit down at my kitchen table and teach my kids the money game. And I said, you've got to generate income, otherwise known as cash. You've got to accumulate wealth, otherwise known as assets that throw up income and go up in value. And you've got to keep it. Well, at the end of the day, there are different mindsets for each one of those three things. And if you look at the keeping it part of it, there's wealth accumulation and then there's wealth preservation. So again, let's think about this. There's three points on a triangle. One is generating cash, otherwise known as income. We all know how to do that, either active, passive, recurring, whatever. But then we've got to accumulate wealth and then we've got to keep it. That's where you start getting critical mass. That's where you start adding zeros. It's those two things that take you way beyond just making money. So as our family sees it, there's really eight levels of financial freedom. You can live paycheck to paycheck, and I've been there. Enough money to quit your job for a little while, I've been there. Enough to be financially happy and still save or some freedom of time. And then the next stage is five enough for a basic retirement, then enough to retire well, and then enough for a dream retirement to do anything you want. And then you get to a point where you got more money than you could ever spend. And that's where you get financial freedom. And that's where you can leverage it into time freedom. So where are you now? And that's the question you ought to be asking yourself. And then the next obvious question is where do you want to go? Well, most people boil it down to three stages, at least we do. We believe you can be financially secure where your investment portfolio covers your basic necessities. And when you get to that point, you deserve a lot of credit. And then you want financial independence where your passive income supports every aspect of your current lifestyle. And boy, do you deserve a lot of credit there because you've just gone from the 20% to the 16%. What about that 4% or even the 1%? That's where you got to have financial freedom, not security, not independence, but freedom. 
where you can fully support the ultimate dream lifestyle. I can literally afford to do anything in the world. That is a cool feeling. And I now have the time to be able to do it, but I'm running out of runway because I'm not as young as most of you on this call. So I want you to all be honest with yourself. Is being comfortable holding you back? Because one of the things I've realized is that comfort is the silent thief. I spent way too much time in corporate America because I was making six figures a year and I was comfortable. Well, success in life is about having great options. If you only have one option, someone else has all the leverage on you like corporate America had on me. Well, I'm now to the point where I have so many streams of income, so many different options, not just for making money, but for doing good and having fun that I've literally cracked the code on all this. But what I want you to do is not just understand it, but take a level of controlled urgency to it. You don't have to panic. You don't have to get rich by tomorrow at four o'clock and you're not going to, but take a level of controlled urgency. Everything needs to be more urgent than it's been in the past or you won't get to where you're trying to go quicker. So ask yourself, is wealth about having money or spending it? Boy, was this a big one for me. You see, it's surprisingly a tough one to answer, at least it was for me. For most of my life, my money lens told me that wealth was about having money and about accumulating more. So I just continued to ratchet up my net worth, continue to ratchet up my income. It was like a video game. And I was taking pains to make sure that I didn't lose anything, so my score dropped. Well, despite the fact that I knew I was great at making money, I also knew with 100% certainty that there was always more of it out there to be made. You see, it's not a zero-sum game. Wealth just gets transferred. And oh, by the way, sometimes it actually grows. So I often viewed discretionary spending early in my career as painful. So guess what? It cost me some enjoyment here and there. You know, when I can go out to uh, dinner with MC and buy, that's an investment in a relationship where I get a great deal of enjoyment instead of just hoarding my cash. Now, by the way, if you aren't financially free, then this doesn't apply to you, at least fully, because I want you to get there. But what I want you to know, there's no doubt in my mind that I've missed out on some of life's little pleasures because I've been pursuing wealth for so long. And I've had opportunities to trade money I didn't need for things and experiences that would have given me a better quality of life, what I call fulfillment. And it wasn't insignificant. And I didn't take those roads. So take the roads where you get the best balance of finance and fulfillment. And don't be guilty like me. Don't think like a thousandaire when I ought to think like a millionaire. Don't think like a millionaire when I'm already a multi or a deca. Think bigger. Add a zero. And if you're not thinking about adding a zero, then you're not going to get there. So it's all about value exchange. Some things in life simply give you more satisfaction and fulfillment than the money you have to exchange for them. It's really that simple. But pursue financial freedom and pursue time freedom so you can have the fulfillment that you want ultimately, but don't give it up completely as you're on your way. I got this text. I, I love this text. I don't know if anybody else saw this. But during the Super Bowl, there was a streaker this year, and he left a, a chat or something, a posting, and he said, I met the Super Bowl streaker. This was somebody else. I met the Super Bowl streaker at Jay Alexander's uh, while having lunch before leaving Tampa. Get this. 
he bet $50,000 on a bet that uh, there would be a streaker at the Super Bowl. His buddy went out first as a diversion so his other friend could streak. It cost him $1,000 to get out of jail, but he cleared $374,000 on his bet. How smart is that? I mean, thinking outside the box, literally having somebody else set you up so that you distract everybody so you can be the streaker and ultimately go throw, get thrown in jail, pay a $1,000 fine, come out $374,000 richer. I love a guy like that, right? So there's only tr one truly true way to become wealthy and stay that way. It's really about mindset. So what do your beliefs tell you about your family's destiny? Well, in my case, we don't delude ourselves into believing everything is going to be 100% right 100% of the time. We have challenges just like you do, but we do believe, and this is important, my sons and I know that anytime we have a setback, anytime we have a failure, it is going to be a bigger future win. I know that may sound delusional to you, but when you've done it so many times, you know all you need to do is pivot. It happened during COVID. It happened that way for my son, Josh, when he created a billion-dollar company with three other founding partners called Lending Home. He's now doing it with Sunday. And it happened for our family office when COVID made these in-person you know, workshops impossible. And then I turned to a guy like MC who was doing virtual workshops and had forgotten more than I'd ever know about it. Well, that's why we're on here today. So in 2019, I went to all cash anticipating a 2020 recession. And we expected to do one fundraise last year for $12 million. And we ended up raising $80 million including two investment funds. And I said for you, because I'm speaking to our insiders now, but how crazy is that? It's all about taking what the market gives you. And it's all about having the mindset to know how to optimize for it. So anyway, that's it. MC, I know you asked me about this. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. What should my listeners, where can, where can they get in touch with you? Where can they learn more a little bit? And what should they take from today and, and what should they do? Yeah. Well, uh, we've already talked about part of it, but I'll just say, you know, cheat off me. You know, this is about my ability to do good and have fun being on a webinar with somebody I like who by extension likes you or you wouldn't be on a webinar. So, you know, generate cash and income, accumulate wealth, keep it, keep all of this, do private lending, do real estate investing, invest in even technology and do things like Invest out of your Roth self-directed IRA. Live in Puerto Rico here with me. You can do a lot. The bottom line is if you can look at the ocean every day and make double-digit passive recurring returns, regardless of what your active income is, and do it from a backpack and keep it, I don't know about you, but I want to do that. I wish somebody would have allowed me to cheat off them before I figured all this out. Uh, also, be on the lookout for an email from Mr. Cashflow Ninja himself. So uh, we already know that uh, MC is the master of persuasion, or he wouldn't have talked me into doing all these ongoing webinars. Um, but at the end of the day, um, we're going to do this two-part follow-up webinar. So it's going to happen next Thursday. So MC will send out, <coughs> he'll send out an invitation. So I encourage you to register. And we'll invite you to learn more than I could cover today in 45 minutes. So just take 15 seconds to register and we'll see you there. I'll also, for those of you who are interested, 
I'll uh, send you, if you haven't received it, the Power of Six white paper, which led to my son getting into and optimizing Stanford, where his two roommates are billionaires, along with his quest to be there soon. Um, we created this insiders group that you may or may not want to be a part of. So all of that, I'll go ahead and send you. But you got to do one thing. You got to go to accessinsiders.com forward slash MC, and I'll give you the gifts. And just understand, this is for serious people. I mean, if you're just curious, don't even invest the time because you'd be spending time when the serious people are investing. So just scroll down to when you get to accessinsiders.com forward slash MC, complete the questions. We'll invite you to our next webinar where I do my State of the Union or we do our Just Be the Bank Private Lending, whatever it is. So Anyway, I hope everyone enjoyed this. I hope it opened your mind to the possibilities, especially your mindset around making money. And for more information, I've already told you where to go. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dave. And again, it, it's accessinsiders.com forward slash MC. And I'll email our community with a registration link for the uh, additional webinar with Dave. And it'll also be up at cashflowninja.com forward slash money mindset. Dave, thank you so much again. Really appreciate you sharing this extremely powerful information with all of my community. My pleasure, MC. Always appreciate you. Always happy to help and serve those that you serve. We'll catch you later. Fantastic. And thank you to all of our listeners and viewers for again joining me and spending your most valuable resource your time with me on the Cashflow Ninja. Until next time, live infinitely. presentation is for educational and informational purposes only. The information being presented and considered does not consider your particular financial objectives or situation, and it does not make personalized recommendations. This material is not intended to replace the advice of a qualified tax and legal advisor or other qualified professionals, and you should not use the information in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional regarding your specific personal financial objectives, situation and needs. We believe the information provided is reliable, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, timeliness, or completeness.